And welcome back, everyone. We have a great show for you today. This show is all about the business of sports betting. And so we're going to go back to the very beginning, at least in the U.S. anyway, of how U.S. sports betting has exploded across the country. And the story is one that a lot of insiders know about, but, but many people don't. It all starts in the great garden state of New Jersey, and we have no one better to tell that story than Barbara DeMarco of Porzio Government Affairs. She's a government affairs consultant in New Jersey, specializing in the gaming industry. We won't say for how long, um, but it has been a long time. It's shocking. I think she started when you were, what, eight years old? Something, something like yes, that. Yes, as a gaming consultant. Barbara, thanks so much for coming on the show and for telling the story. My 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 good, long-time New Jersey friend. Yes, yes. Jim and I have, uh, have worked together. We've tried to promote some new ventures and um, sometimes successfully, sometimes <laughs> uh they get bought out and a lot of merger and acquisition, but um, yes, I, I enjoy my friendship with Mr. Breslow. And we have a, and we have a new venture with this, with this beautiful podcast that is blowing up all across the country. So um, my, my ties to the areas, I lived in Philly from 75 to 79 as a kid. And um, I have this recollection that my father invested in Resorts International. And this was at the time when there was all the speculation about New Jersey and getting gaming and so on. And, and I think Resorts International finally got approved with their license, what have you, and the stock went to the moon. And then something else happened that caused it to like go the exact opposite way. And I just remember my mom being very upset with my dad that he rode the stock all the way up and then put more money in as it was going up and up and up. And then he like lost everything. I mean, we weren't thrown out on the streets or anything, but it was a stressor between my parents because my dad kept doubling down on Resorts International. And I don't remember what happened. Do you know what happened with Resorts International in, well, in I mean, Atlantic City? Well, I mean, it's still there. Um, and it is the first casino hotel in Atlantic City, uh, mid-70s, 1970s. Um, what had happened was, uh, and again, I, I was very young at this point, but um, my my recollection is they tried to pass a statewide referendum to allow for casino gaming, and it failed miserably. And they came back and they did it just for Atlantic City. And because Atlantic City was in such economic distress and there isn't economic diversity down there, this would have diversified the economy and it passed just for Atlantic City. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting how the history of gaming all across, it's all, you know, usually there's some dire situation that needs to be addressed. You know, with the tribes, we've got that situation where the tribes were essentially given uh, gaming and look what that has done. You, you, you kind of have these three powerhouses of gaming as far as the development of it in the U.S. I'd say, you know, what Nevada has done, obviously, and then what's going on with the tribes and then what's going on with New Jersey and starting with Atlantic City and ultimately resulting in being the first state to legalize sports betting, um, have to go to the United States Supreme Court to ultimately get it approved. But it was New Jersey that did all of that and was the first to implement sports betting. And now you've got uh, close to half the states having followed it. Some of the big ones still yet to come. Florida's not there yet. Texas is not there yet. California's not there yet. But it all started in New Jersey. So give everybody, you know, just the, the backstory as to how New Jersey became the first state to um, to get sports betting. Okay. Um, first, the, the first thing I'll, I will say is generally you will find that state legislatures prefer gambling 
um, legalization, cannabis legalization, higher taxes on cigarettes because they're considered sin taxes. And essentially, if you don't participate, you don't pay. And that's a lot better than having your property taxes raised or your corporate business taxes raised. So um, it's an attractive thing for any state that's having uh, financial issues or has um, a depressed area that you want to invigorate with new economic development. So um, all those things were present in New Jersey. Um, so what happened was we had uh, bricks and mortar gaming, and then the state of New Jersey, without passing a referendum, legalized internet gaming first. And that was done prior to sports wagering. And uh, technically, we're the second state who did that. Delaware, I think, was first, but because they have less than a million people, um, it, it just didn't make the money it needed. You needed that larger uh, population base, both for sports wagering and internet gaming to make it uh, viable. Um, so they did, they passed a law um, that said, as long as the servers were in Atlantic City geographic area, you could offer internet waging just in the boundaries of the state of New Jersey to New Jersey residents. But the servers themselves would have to be in Atlantic City proper because our constitution says that all casino type gaming must be in the geographic limits of Atlantic City. So that's how they got around the referendum. So you have that in place. So the DGE, the Division of Gaming Enforcement, which is, I would say, the probably the best regulators in the country, and certainly the most innovative and progressive in trying new things, they had already become somewhat of an expert on doing internet gaming online. Um, so you saw already an investment from some of these companies um, into that, um, that first section. Now that was limited just to uh, the casino industry, the racetracks in New Jersey, and there were three, did not participate in that and they were not part of that because it was tied to the original gaming law that allowed for internet gaming uh, to be in the geographic uh, limits and the racetracks weren't, so they were prohibited. So, you so to be clear, it had to be it had to be hosted by the casinos themselves. Right. And it was not sports. It was just your basic, typical casino games. And did it actually go live? Um, it went live almost within six months of the passage of that law. So you have so so you have two really good things happening here. You have population density. You have a law like our internet gaming law that was in place where some of these companies were already investing in the platforms in partnership with the casinos, and you had regulators doing it. Uh, so that was a perfect structure to launch a challenge to the Professional and Amateur Sports Protection Act, or PASPA, which was a 1992 federal law that actually was championed by our senator here at that time, Bill Bradley, uh, MBA player, Princeton graduate, um, who, who was the New Jersey senator at the time, who wanted to prohibit, um, prohibit uh betting online on sports. So that law passed and everyone always thought that it was something that could be challenged. So let's fast forward a little bit. Um, and New Jersey had a chance to be uh, exempted from that law, like Oregon, Delaware, Nevada, and Montana, who were grandfathered in, but the New Jersey voters voted that down. They didn't want to be part of that. So they had an opportunity 
um, in, there was a one-year period after the passage of that law where they could have allowed it. And at that time, they did not want to expand um, that ability to gamble on um, on sports. And uh, so it didn't pass. So you fast forward now to 2018, uh, a law is passed that allows for um, for, well, let's fat back up a little bit. Uh, earlier um, in, and I want to say it was probably around 20, a little after 2014, um, they, they put a law through that would allow for sports wagering. And it was immediately um, challenged. And using uh, a small racetrack called Mammoth Park, which was owned and run by the thoroughbred industry, uh, because they had no ties to big casino, big um, entities, they t- they were uh, essentially the partners of Governor Christie, who took this all the way up to the Supreme Court. And it took so many years that fast forward, Governor Murphy comes in and it becomes his case when um, finally it's decided. Yeah. And, and, and right. So the, the, let's talk about the federal law for a second that was passed. And you said that it emanated from New Jersey and in, in, in Governor Bradley, um, Senator, the, the, Senator Bradley, the, the, the ultimate downfall of that law, correct me if I'm wrong, was that it had exempted certain states. So it basically grandfathered in if a state had already had some form of sports betting, then you were OK. We're not going to shut you down. But any other any other state that wants to join you. No, sorry, you're too late. There's now a federal law that says that you can't do it. And that ultimately is what the Supreme Court objected to about that law and caused them to uh, overturn it. Correct. Right. Uh, I think it's you know, you uh I, I'm not a constitutional <laughs> expert, but my understanding is that's exactly what the situation was, that you can't um, allow certain states to offer something and then prohibit others from doing it. I mean, they have to be treated equally. So, so right. and, 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 and it was part of it. Yeah. And, and it's really fascinating today to look at that case and look who the parties were and what sides they were on. Um, and all of the major sports leagues, NBA, NHL, Major League Baseball, NFL, they all were supporting that law. They all wanted to keep in place the ban, nationwide ban on sports betting, other than in these handful of states, Nevada being obviously the, the biggest one where you had to be in the casino to, to place the bet. And the major sports leagues liked this law at that time. They wanted the Supreme Court to uphold the law to keep this ban in place. Supreme Court ends up striking down the law and here you fast forward to today and you're like all the leagues are embracing this and it appears to casual observer they're making gobs of money off of it. Well, I you know it was very fa- what was fascinating to me is you're absolutely right. They absolutely opposed it. Um the casino industry because they were concerned with licensing issues and other if the court case had gone the opposite way, they kind of stayed on the sidelines and it was this one little track that kept pushing forward because New Jersey doesn't allow slot machines or any form of casinos with our racetracks or racinos uh, like Pennsylvania, Delaware, New York, all our border states, and they were dying on the vine. So it was this or there would be no uh, thoroughbred or standard bred racing in New Jersey because it just couldn't survive because it's a regional sport. So they pushed forward and eventually they were the ones 
who who caused this to happen. But what I found fascinating is after the law was passed and Governor Murphy signed it, the one that actually was enacted, they wanted a piece of the pie. They wanted um, to be able to charge for their signal, uh, the sports team. And I'll never forget that day because, you know, New Jersey people, we're 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 authentic, we're we're raw in many ways, and my legislators are no different. Um, they're very bright, but they're not these polished Wall Street looking uh, types of uh, Ivy League professionals. And this is who the league sent in. Well, this was the same group that had opposed the law. This was the same group that's coming in and saying, "Now give us a piece of it." And then you were sending with our. Uh, very unique legislature, all these polished, very, you know, uh, um, uh, Ivy League-like guys. And I've never seen a panel more just decimated by questioning by a state legislative committee. They just did a job on them like you couldn't imagine, because they were furious they even had the gall to get up there to ask for a piece. Of the so what is so what what were they asking for? Because it's a really interesting angle as we sit here today. Because um, as far as I know, the, none of the sports leagues are directly benefiting from the sports betting. They're benefiting from it because they're getting a ton of advertising and a ton of sponsorship and probably additional viewers. But what you're saying was that at the very outset, they were also asking for a percentage, a percentage of all the action. Well, they wanted they wanted to be paid for the signal. They felt that that was their property, and there was precedent for that. Right now, with racing, um, you pay to send. So, if if New Jersey wants to take the Kentucky Derby, which is a Grade One stakes race, and you and Triple Crown race, and you want to show it in New Jersey, you have to pay Kentucky a vig of almost seventeen, nineteen percent. It's negotiable for that signal or that feed. Um, they wanted something similar for each of their games. So that's what they were looking for, for that, that generally it's 3% on a race that's being sent or received. Um, You know, that's what you pay, but for your really high end would be your Super Bowl or your uh, Grand Slam tournament uh, or Major League Baseball World Series you pay a much higher VIG for that uh, signal. So that's what they were looking for with something yeah. to pay for the feed. Well, and the, well the, the funny thing is, is I'm sure one of the reactions of them all, not to mention what you said, which is, uh, wait a minute, you guys are the ones opposing this and now you want to benefit from it. But it's like, what do you mean pay for your feed? You guys are already on television. These are major televised sports all across the country, which is, this is for another show, but you know, what, seems to me what happened to horse racing was it did not want to be broadcast or it charged significantly for the broadcast because that's how they made their money through people betting on it. And if you just broadcast it everywhere, then all the bookies would make money off the, the horse betting and, and they didn't want that. So horse racing did not want to be a televised sport. In the meantime, all these other sports leagues are getting rich off of television and the king, the, 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 the king of sports horse racing ends up kind of going down while all the other sports are going up because horse racing doesn't want to be on TV. Well, that's because they had the only game in town. I mean, running numbers, there was not even lottery in the 40s and 50s when there was betting on horse racing. I mean, they were the king of sports because you were that was the only one you were betting on legally. Um, right. But, and- but, but it's mixed. Yeah, exactly. So it was a product created to gamble on it as opposed to simply be enjoyed. 
right? Yeah. All the other sports were to be enjoyed. In fact, you weren't supposed to gamble on them. And horse racing, no, the whole point is <clears throat> to gamble on it. Yet it is a sport and it's a pretty compelling sport, but you need television to tell that story. Television does a great job of adding the drama. Biggest mistake they made. Biggest right. mistake horse racing ever made was not being televised. But again, I think the mentality at that time was, we, we don't need to be televised. We're the only game in town. And that slowly over decades became eroded with Las Vegas and then lottery and then uh, Atlantic City and then, you know, other states offering uh, uh, bricks and mortar gaming and convenience markets, less resorts, because I still think the only two big resorts are Atlantic City and Las Vegas, Nevada, and maybe Reno, Lake Hot Tahoe area. You know, I guess you could say the area around New Orleans, uh, Biloxi, there, you know, there are strips of casinos there, but they're, they're really are really only an East Coast and a West Coast destination. Yeah. And the rest are pretty much convenience markets. All right. Well, let's pick up the sports betting uh, history story uh, after the break with, with how exactly it did get implemented in New Jersey and then how it's been followed elsewhere. So we'll be back after the break with Barbara DeMarco talking about New Jersey's role in the expansion of sports betting in A news story gets shared by a friend on social media, or you catch a tweet that really makes your blood boil. But how do you separate fact from fiction? That's the premise behind Disinformation, a 10-part series from Evergreen Podcasts and Emergent Risk International coming this fall. Tune in to Disinformation wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, don't believe everything you read. The world's best-known investor and Wall Street expert, Warren Buffett, once said, Wall Street is the only place that people ride to in a Rolls Royce to get advice from those who take the subway. Mr. Buffett's quote is remarkably accurate, but how many people would rather receive advice from him than someone simply guessing? Welcome to Buy, Hold, Sell, your single source for Wall Street knowledge and profitable guidance. Please join me, Todd Schoenberger, and fellow trader Tobin Smith, as well as host Veronica Dudo. For a podcast known to move the needle for investors, Tobin and I are seasoned Wall Street executives with deep investment experience, and we are prepared to share our advice to those who choose to listen. Download Buy, Hold, Sell today on the Evergreen Podcast Network or your favorite podcast channel. Hi, my name is Sarah, and I want to tell you about my podcast called Can I Offer You Some Feedback? I'm a business consultant and executive coach with over 20 years experience in change management, leadership development, and naturally providing feedback to high performers. My podcast is for those of you who have a complicated relationship with feedback, whether giving, receiving, avoiding, or seeking. Feedback is essential for our development. In each episode, you'll hear from real people across industries with their ideas, perspectives, and best practices on feedback. I'll also be sharing business bites with you, simple explanations of organizational tools, management techniques, and leadership philosophies that will help you and your businesses thrive. You can listen to Can I Offer You Some Feedback on your favorite podcast app or learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com. And welcome back, everyone. We're talking to Barbara DeMarco, government affairs consultant for Porgio Government Affairs in New Jersey, expert in New Jersey 
Gaming, which these days is mostly about sports betting. We're walking through the history. So we've gotten to 2018 after the Supreme Court has has rejected the challenge to the New Jersey law uh, that the all the sports leagues had uh, brought and said that, no, the federal government can't say that some states can allow sports betting while others cannot. So the law was, was struck down and New Jersey was able to move forward. Um, and one interesting part about the, the, the law that was going to allow it, and this is very common for states to do this, they don't just say that, okay, sports betting is now legal. Anybody who wants to open up a sports betting business, you know, go ahead and hang a shingle. Uh, the states are usually very specific about who is allowed to offer the sports betting. So for instance, in California, uh, we just had two monster initiatives. Both of them failed, but it was all about allowing the tribes to offer internet sports wagering. If you're not a tribe, you don't get to offer it. Why would you limit it only to tribes? Well, because the tribes in California are very powerful. They got tons of money because they got all the casinos and they made sure that it was written that way. They both failed, however. So similarly in New Jersey, the law was very specific. It didn't say just anyone could open up a internet sports wagering site. It said only if you have an Atlantic City casino license or if you are a racetrack. Is that right? Yep, absolutely. That was exactly it. However, I will tell you, it's uh, I'm going back to the internet gaming law authorization. There was a bill prior to the one that was signed where they did try to allow for internet cafes, which would have been non-casino tied internet platforms to offer um, uh, some form of casino gaming. And Lang City went nuts uh, because you would be competing against something that was out there like they do in in Europe. I mean, because they don't aren't tied to casinos, but these companies had made millions upon millions of investments into the bricks and mortar. And then you're going to allow someone to come in and just shut up shop and take bets that would have generally come to you if there wasn't an internet wagering law. So that that was struck. The initial law was absolute vetoed by Christie that did internet gaming because of that, uh, you know, internet cafe portion of the bill that would have allowed anyone to come in and offer a platform for that. So again, it set precedent for when this bill was uh, regulations were done and, and the 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 body of the bill said these are the entities that can do it. However, uh, you sports wagering platform provider, DraftKings, FanDuel, whatever, you can partner with either a racetrack and racetracks have what they call three skins or three partners. Um, and then the casino industry, each hotel, I believe, has seven skins attached to it. So seven sports wagering platforms can enter into a partnership with Caesars or Borgata, which is MGM, and they they set up this partnership. Something's paid to the land-based casino from the operator, and they are allowed to take bets in the state of New Jersey. So that's how you get around. Um, how do these other companies get to be players? They get to be players by partnering with the bricks and mortar casino or racetrack. Right. And they're in helping those industries. Uh, Atlantic City was not doing well at the time at all because it went from having there only being essentially Las Vegas and Atlantic City as gambling sites in America, where due to Indian casino spread, 
they're popping up all over. New Yorkers no longer have to go to New Jersey. They can go to uh, Mohegan Sun, uh, which is even closer, right, than than New Jersey. Well, it's about the same. To, to or about the same. Yeah. So uh, uh, Pennsylvania approved casinos. Pennsylvania was Philly. one that was the most devastating to Atlantic City. When you saw the numbers at our height, which I want to say uh, in the 90s, it was about $5 billion in Atlantic City. I think it was 2004, Rendell passed Pennsylvania. And I'm doing this from memory, so my dates could be a little bit off. But what you saw when they became full-fledged casinos is exactly the amount that Atlantic City lost, which is about $2 billion transferred over to Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. So their numbers were exactly the loss that was coming from the Atlantic City bricks and mortar. Right. So New Jersey re realized we got to do something to protect this industry. and therein lies the, the birth of sports betting. But uh, in addition, your horse racing industry was really dying on the vine. And also they swooped in to, to save them, right? Right. Um, the sports way, sports wagering, there are three skins assigned to each racetrack. There are three operating racetracks. Um, they are uh, Freehold, which is owned by Penn Entertainment and Parks. Um, then there's Mr. Gorell's track, which he has his own casinos up in uh, Toyoga, Downs, and a I think Saratoga, he owns the Meadowlands and he also owns the Bayonne off-track wagering. And then you have Monmouth Park, which is owned by the Thoroughbred Horseman. So you had three racetracks that were allowed to get three, like, as you say, skins, websites, essentially gambling websites each. And then how many uh, total casinos in Atlantic City got them? Um, well, you have the Caesars owns three properties. So they own the Trop, Caesars, and Harris. So that would be one entity in and of itself, even though they would have technically 21 skins attached to them, seven per property. They don't exercise that 21 skins that they own. Um, then you have MGM, uh, which is Borgata. You have Golden Nugget. You have Ocean Resort, which, you, which is probably the newest, is the newest casino. Then you have Hard Rock. Well, actually, Hard Rock is the newest, but it's in an older building. Newest infrastructure is Ocean. Uh, you have resorts that's still uh, there, and you have Bally. Okay. So now it's legal, and you've got a mad scramble to see who is going to capture this market in New Jersey first. And you have these brick-and-mortar places partnering with more experienced companies that are already used to taking internet sports wagering, a lot of them from Europe and trying to race to the market first. So, so walk us kind of through how that all played out as the racetracks and the Atlantic City casinos are racing to be the first ones out there accepting wagering and, and being the dominant player in New Jersey. Okay. The first one actually, again, was uh, Monmouth Park to open up their sports book. They did that with William Hill, Joe Asher, who I forget which uh, betting platform he's with now, but he's with one of them, uh, was running William Hill and he was a former horse guy. So he knew all the horsemen They came out of Delaware. Um, so they had worked out that arrangement with William Hill, which was the, a huge sport, sports book in Vegas, as, as most people know. And so that- Are we, sorry, are we talking internet or in person? This sports is, betting. This is sports wagering sports book as in on the ground, not- On internet. the ground. Okay. Um, that because the license, uh, the license allowed you to both have a sports book at your location and be on the internet. Right. The skins. Uh, okay. So, so Monmouth was the first to, to open an actual walk-in sports book. 
Right. Okay. Um, the first one to come online, um, I don't remember, I'll be honest with you, but I would, I, for some reason, I want to say it was Borgata it was no, it might've been golden nugget because they they were kind of the market leaders initially until Caesars got up and running. And now, um, I think it's, it's Borgata and, uh, Caesars points that I'm trying to think of the others, golden nugget, DraftKings, Fandle, they're, they're your leaders on the platform side. So there was I presume a scramble among the land-based casinos to put together these partnerships with the ones that are already doing it online. That's, where, that's where your division of gaming enforcement is so important because they have to facilitate all that. They have to get the licensing done. They have to make sure that these companies are legit, that there's not that money there that's supporting them, uh, meaning offshore money, money that is organized crime. So they do a complete vetting of the corporation. Now it makes it easier on a Caesars or um, or a bad MGM because they already have the casino license. So they've already been licensed by that entity. Mm-hmm. So it would be much easier for them to open up Caesars com or betmgm.com than it would be if you were bet365 or uh triple eights or or points bet because you don't have bricks and mortar. So those individuals had an advantage because they had a license already. So this was a new kind of license, but they didn't have to go through that same vetting process that a brand new company coming to New Jersey would. So those companies had to come in second to that, which had those initial licenses tied to the casino bricks and mortar. Well, and and it's the first time anywhere in the United States where sports betting is happening online. So how you regulate that and what type of licensing and controls you put in place was being invented uh, for the first time. Yep. And it was invented in New Jersey. And that's why I say most other states predicate their uh, regulations and their laws on the New Jersey law because it's been so well enforced. It's in its rollout has been uh, not problematic. Uh, we have really great regulators, and they know what they're doing with this new form of wagering. They they brought in a consultant from Malta because uh, you know many of the entities in many of the countries um, uh, that allowed it, and the entities that uh, were the same ones wanting to come into Jersey. Um, were in these jurisdictions who helped them uh, craft the legislation so that it would pull the best from all of those jurisdictions that had it already for years um, in Europe. Right, right. Europe was way ahead of us, and therefore the companies in Europe kind of came in and helped help lead it here. So walk us through the winners and losers since this is launched in New Jersey. First, first of all, let's talk about the racetracks because this was really important to save the racetracks. How have the racetracks done since this legalization? It's helped. It hasn't saved them. They still have a uh, what is considered a purse supplement that comes out of our general fund to counteract the impact of neighboring, neighboring racetracks who have casinos. Um, So they get both the support from their sport horse racing, then they get the money from off-track wagering, and um, that comes the OTBs, both in person and then account deposit wagering, which is by the phone, uh, just on horse racing. And then they get the money from sports wagering. So they have a couple different pots supporting them. So they're surviving. Are they thriving? No. They've had to reduce racing days to allow for the purses to be competitive with uh, states around them. So uh, thoroughbred racing, when I was involved with the thoroughbred horsemen and I, I worked for their president for 10 years exclusively, 
uh, we're about 120 racing days at Monmouth, and now that's around 50. So okay, okay, but are they separately making gobs of money from sports betting that they're putting in bucket over here? And here's the horse racing bucket, and we're only making a little here, so we're not going to race that much. But over in this side, we're making lots of money. Sports wagering is not a big money producer for um, any of these platforms because it, the internet gaming is because you're you keep more of your your profit you there the margins for sports wagering are much smaller so that's why you want that bigger footprint like with poker because it's the, the way you're it's not pure paramutual but it's more paramutual than it is betting against a house even though there you know because a morning line is set and it's set by the house and you have to pay a vig to the house but at the same time time it is more paramutual in nature so more like horse racing or poker and so when you're looking and this is why texas and california are so why it's you know these companies want it so much in these areas is you have more population to support that kind of wagering and the more the bigger your pot more betting is bet it makes up for that smaller percentage Uh, the smaller the state the greater the capital uh less people betting big being smaller not making as much. So New Jersey had the benefit of almost 10 million people. New York has, I, I don't know, I think it's somewhere around, I don't know, 17, 18 million. Pennsylvania is 14 million. California is 37 million, I think. It's like the same as a small country. Uh, you get California up and running, uh, sports wagering platforms can make a, a, a huge amount of money because the footprint's so large and then mm-hmm. the population's so large. And each one of these states are doing it, um, and it, it makes it very di- difficult for the infrastructure part of it. But you have to go through the licensing process, setting up your infrastructure, setting up your platform based on the laws of individual states, and each one is different. So you could technically have 50 different ways of doing it, not that you'll ever see gambling of this type in Utah, but technically you could have 50 different ways of doing this with 50 different laws and 50 different regulating authorities, which make it very costly to to do this kind of thing. And what has it done for the New Jersey casinos? If I were to walk into some of the Atlantic City casinos right now, would they be looking nicer because they're making so much money now on internet gambling that they're sprucing up their hotels? Um, I would say that the sports wagering uh, locations in some of the, the hotels are real draws because they're large, like the one at Bally's Wild West, the one at the Ocean Casino, the one at MGM Borgata, which also has the only race book room where the horse racing goes, the kind of put together. And I do think that especially for your marquee sporting events, you see large influxes of people coming in and betting. They come with their wives, their girlfriends, their friends. And it adds, especially in those signature days, such a, a, a much bigger crowd than ever was there. Um, so March Madness, even even during the week, which you don't see often, you're going to see that place packed during that period. And you're going to see betting through the roof. Um, it's well run. It's uh, some of the places are small. Some of them are large, but the larger ones. But if you talk to someone who's a real uh, traditional sports wagering type of dude, he will tell you he likes um, the setup at resorts best because they have big comfy chairs mm-hmm. uh, that you could sit and watch all day in a big comfy chair. I have a brother like that. So 
I'll cut my nose. <laughs> what, what about internet? Who is winning on the internet? What website's doing the best? I would say uh, for sports wagering, I would say DraftKings and FanDuel have a, a big piece of the pie. I would say Caesars and probably BetMGM would probably be your biggest, mostly because their names you know, your names associated with sports wagering or casino gaming, and people tend to gravitate to what they know. So before they, uh, it's the more sophisticated better who's going to look at a Bet365 or a Tipco or a Circa or a um, something different other than your traditional names because of a comfort ladder level. Um, they just have that branding that it makes it more attractive. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm sure it was great for players because there's all kinds of sign on bonuses that all of them are offering. Well, and I will tell you other. the other way these guys make money is the goofy parlays people put in. They put in these parlays thinking they're going to hit, you know, like the lottery, yeah. uh, you know, and they never pay off or very rarely pay off. You'll hear those stories every once in a while on ESPN, but um, they're not. And if you're going to make money off of sports wagering, it's those goofy bets that people make that are losers before you put them in, much like a lottery bet. So yeah. um, that if you're going to look at a way of making money um, from this, I would say have more of those gimmicks, have those gimmicky bets that, again, correspond a lot to what was always traditional in racing, like the pick six or the pick four or the trifecta or the superfecta. It's it's gimmicky way of betting where you bet larger sums and less likely to win. So you're going to make more money off those bets. All right. Well, we'll have to leave it there, Barbara. Thank you. We, 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 we did it. I was concerned that the full history would take much longer than that, but we, I think we hit the highlights and we'll have you back on to cover some more of the uh, details. It's Barbara DeMarco, Porzio Government Affairs. Uh, how can people find you? PorzioGov.com. Be DeMarco at PorzioGov.com. And I'm here in Jersey, or you can look for a uh, um, part of a law firm, Porzio Bromberg and Newman, and they will get you to me. I'm one of, um, I work within one of their subsidiaries. All right. Barbara, my good friend, thank you so much for joining us. That was great. We're going to have okay, you back on. Fun. All okay. Right. Thanks, Jim. Bye. I want you to smash that like button. <laughs> The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast.